Now at ReachMD, we are all about informing physicians and medical professionals to help them better at caring for patients and also to leading fulfilling, satisfying lives for themselves. I asked our guest to be with us today because I think that our listening audience would be really interested in how to ensure that they negotiate the best employment contracts that are mutually beneficial to both the employer and most importantly to the physician employee. You are listening to ReachMD and welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen, Adjunct Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Practicing OBGYN Hospitalist. Today, our guest is Arden Miller. Arden is a practicing physician at Cohen, Pollock, Merlin, and Small, PC, a law firm founded in 1977 based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Arden's practice focuses primarily on representing physicians in employment agreement contract negotiations. Arden, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for that wonderful introduction, and thank you to Dr. Allen and ReachMD for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Of course, being a lawyer, I have to start off with a disclaimer that the information provided during this program is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. That said, it is a true honor and privilege to be here and I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Arden. Arden, would you be able to please tell us a little bit about your background and professional experience specifically with regards to providing legal advice to physicians entering into employment agreements? Certainly. I was born and raised in Macon, Georgia, to a family of medical providers. My father was a physician. My mother is still a practicing pharmacist. My uncle down the street was a doctor, and I just grew up around a lot of physicians and ended up even marrying one. So kind of like how physicians end up finding their niche, finding what specialty they want to pursue, I ended up finding my niche in physician employment agreements and physician-related corporate transactional work. Um, My interest in physician employment agreements and physician corporate transactions organically grew as I started assisting many of my physician friends and family members with their contract negotiations. I enjoyed working with doctors and ended up marrying one, as I said, and then through word of mouth, I developed a practice which focuses primarily on medical and dental provider transactions. I've also always related to physicians. I understand the stress that they have with their careers, their schedules, their patient care, and I find that I try to be sympathetic to the anxieties physicians might have when dealing with business and legal contracts, and I try to efficiently provide them with legal advice to protect their interests and get them back to the important job of providing patient care. Just from my own personal experience, I have employed your services for my own employment contract matter, and you, I thought, were very excellent in that you were very well-versed with regards to what we needed as a client, as a group, the physician. So having said that, let me aim this question towards the many residents and fellows all over the country who may be finalizing their training or receiving offers proposed offer letters or employment agreements. Can you tell us about physician contract negotiations for letters of intent and employment agreements? Yes. 
Well, Dr. Allen, there are letters of intent, which are also commonly referred to as offer letters, and then there are employment agreements. And the two, the two are interrelated, but they're actually quite different. An offer letter or a letter of intent is usually a one- to two-page document, and most of the terms in that document are non-binding. And the reason that employers will provide a letter of intent or these offer letters to physicians is to determine whether or not the physician is serious about taking the job. Before they propose an employment offer through a 50-page, 40-page, whatever it might be, employment agreement, and they put the time and the resource into drafting that employment agreement with their legal uh, department or their attorneys, they want to make sure that the physician and the employer are on the same page. So they'll give an offer letter to the physician to review and sign. And sometimes when, when physicians come to me, they say, well, I went ahead and executed this offer letter because I know that it's non-binding. And I really want your physician listeners to understand that once they execute an offer letter, even though it's non-binding, they've already agreed to those key terms. So if you receive an offer letter and the compensation is something different than you want to agree to in your employment agreement, you need to go ahead and vocalize those concerns and request the changes at the early stage because if you execute the offer letter with one compensation term, let's say it's, it's a salary of 100000 and what you intend on asking for is a compensation package including a $200,000 salary, then you've really waived any opportunity to negotiate on the compensation later if you've already agreed to it on the offer letter. So one thing that I would say is first, don't sign the offer letter with key terms that you intend on asking for changes to later in the employment agreement. Go ahead and vocalize the changes that you want early on to determine if the employer and the physician are on the same page. So that's number one. Number two is once you get an employment agreement, they can be intimidating. They might be 30 pages, 40 pages, 50 pages, and there's a lot of legalese in there. There are terms and conditions in there that don't make a lot of sense. It's tedious to go through and read every, every paragraph of the employment agreement. But understand that employment agreement. You have worked very hard to get to where you are today. You are educating yourself. You are preparing yourself for a career in medicine that you plan on doing for a very long time, and you owe it to yourself to sit down and understand the terms of that employment agreement. So both an offer letter, a letter of intent, and an employment agreement all are intertwined together, and if you receive an offer letter, the bottom line is don't assume just because it's non-binding that you can sign it and negotiate later. The two need to be viewed and analyzed together. So then, having said that, Arden, what are some of the common mistakes that physicians make when negotiating or entering into employment contracts? Many young physicians I see that are just out of training are weary of the negotiations process. They are particularly concerned that a private practice employer, a hospital employer, any type of employer will retract an offer that has already been extended to this physician if they try to negotiate for a more favorable, let's say, compensation package or benefit package or termination provision or restrictive covenant agreement, territorial or duration. They're very weary 
of the negotiations process. And I would say that they have a lot of anxiety about being viewed as difficult or confrontational. They also have this idea that the contract presented to them by a hospital, private practice, whoever the employer might be, is this set in stone, non-negotiable piece of paper and that it's presented to them in a take it or leave it approach. And one thing that I would say to new physicians coming out of training is if the, if the employer is extending an employment agreement to you, they see value in you. And they are not out there giving offers to hundreds of people. They've picked you and maybe a couple of other people to extend an offer to. And they see enough value in you to negotiate with you and at least listen to some of the requests that you have to change or modify the, the presented contract to you. I will also say that I have never seen a contract where an employer is completely arbitrarily unwilling to change any provision in the agreement that you've brought to their attention. I've just never seen it. So this myth that there's a take-it-or-leave-it approach to every contract and, and that there are these carved-in-stone agreements is just that. It's, it's really just a myth. And I want young physicians coming out of training to understand their worth and to realize that if a change in the agreement is important to you and has been advised by your counsel to to at least explore, you owe it to yourself to sit down with the employer, to have your lawyer sit down with the employer's lawyer and at least try to negotiate a change or a few changes. Now, that being said, you might not get every request, and you probably won't get every request. But if you don't ask for a change or modification in the contract, you definitely won't get it. So it's worth it to at least ask. And what I typically advise my clients to do is request certain modifications that are very important and also include a, a few requests that maybe aren't as important, realizing that you're probably not going to get a favorable reply to each and every request, but you're very likely to get a favorable reply on many of the requests. So if an employer is willing to offer you an employment contract, Please understand they are serious about you, they are serious about the job offer, and they see value in you. You've worked very hard to get to this point in your career, and you should attempt negotiations from a business person's approach, not from an approach of someone that's weary of the process. Um, the last thing that I would say is that I do notice some physicians will sign an employment agreement without ever showing it to a trusted advisor, whether that's a family friend that's an attorney, an attorney they found through word of mouth. And some physicians will sign an employment agreement without ever reading it. They just say, well, I really wanted to go work for this employer, and they told me everything at a meeting that was going to be included in the contract, and I believed them. Again, you can't go by a verbal discussion. Whatever's written in the four corners is what's going to hold up. And this is your livelihood that you've worked very hard for, and it's your future. And you should always fully understand what you are agreeing to in the contract that you're planning to sign. Can you specifically give us some advice for a new physician out of training about counter-offering an employment agreement? Yes, Dr. Allen. I would advise a new physician out of training 
to first consult with an experienced attorney, whether that be a friend or family member or someone they've heard about through word of mouth, to analyze the proposed employment agreement and to provide the physician with an overview of the key legal issues to address in the contract. I would also encourage the physician to let the attorney provide them with a list of proposed changes that they would recommend in the contract and to not be afraid to let that attorney negotiate on their behalf with the employer for certain modifications to the contract. There are so many provisions in a contract to understand. There are restrictive covenant agreements, benefits, termination provisions, duration, compensation, of course. But many physicians only look at the compensation. I would encourage new physicians to understand all aspects of their employment agreement because the termination provision could severely impact their ability to earn a livelihood down the road. If, if the termination provision says that it could be terminated at any time with 30 days and their restrictive covenant agreement is automatically triggered with a 50-mile geographic radius and a two-year term and they live in a small town, that's going to be a difficult road for that physician. Uh, I often tell my clients to blame the attorney, which can help in, in some situations. People love to, to blame the attorney because the physician says, I, says to me, I don't, I don't want to be difficult. I don't want to be confrontational, and I don't want to sit down and have this, these discussions with this employer that I want to have a good rapport with and a good working relationship with. And I completely understand this. So I always just tell them, listen, I understand. You don't want to be adversarial. You don't want to be viewed as difficult. So tell your employer that you know, you, you've hired an, a lawyer, you've retained a lawyer, and that lawyer wants to reach out to the employer's lawyer or the employer directly to go over a few items of the contract, and that way it takes it out of the physician's hands. They, they can go about their business and keep everything amicable and let the attorneys work it out. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. And today is my pleasure to have Arden Miller, an attorney specializing in physician employment contract negotiations. Arden, which area of a physician employment agreement are employers most willing to agree to modify during these negotiations? Dr. Allen, this is one of the most frequent questions that I receive from any of my clients, which are the provisions that I think the employer is going to agree to or not agree to? And I'm sorry to give this response, but it really does depend on the situation. There's really no way to answer this question without being somewhat vague. It does depend on so many scenarios. The employer, the type of employer, Employer? Is it a private practice? Is it a sole practitioner? Is it a hospital-based employer? What is the experience level and specialty of the employee? What is the knowledge of the employee? How long has the employee been practicing? All of those factors come into play when I review a contract and when I try to give my clients advice on which terms the employer is most willing to agree to modify. Um, Sometimes an employer is very willing to include a waiver of the restrictive covenant agreement, for example, 
in the event of the natural expiration of the contract or upon a termination without cause by the employer. Other times, an employer will come back to me and say, nope, we have never once agreed to a waiver of the restrictive covenant agreement in any situation, and we will not agree to one now. We just we don't want to set a precedent. Um, but on the other hand, we'll agree to your request for a sign-on bonus or a retention bonus, or um, we'll increase the base salary by an, a certain number. In my experience, I have noticed that some employers are willing to compromise on termination provisions and notice provisions, while others are very willing to compromise on the payment of tail insurance premiums, bonus amounts, restrictive covenant time restrictions, and your attorney will be able to give you their opinion of which provisions the employer is likely to agree to and which they are very unlikely to agree to. And again, you know, you can have your attorney compare your situation to their experience with other similarly situated physician agreements they've reviewed and negotiated. I'm going to ask some specific questions for the remainder of this interview because I think that this is going to be very helpful for our listeners. For example, what are the typical restrictions in physician employment agreements? In particular, Arden, what should physicians know about non-compete agreements? Dr. Allen, this is one of the most important provisions of an agreement, and that is the restrictive covenant provisions of an agreement. There are three primary restrictive covenants in an agreement. Number one, a non-competition agreement. Number two, a non-solicitation agreement. And number three, a non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement. The confidential and trade secret provisions of an agreement are, are important for physicians, but physicians are bound by, as you know, regulatory and federal state laws such as HIPAA. And so today I think it would be most beneficial for your listeners to understand and learn more about non-competition agreements and non-solicitation agreements. And with non-compete agreements, the main confusing factor of restrictive covenant agreements that focus on non-competition is that these non-compete agreements are triggered upon termination of the agreement for any reason. And I think that many physicians do not understand that triggering event. So they might, they might be terminated for no reason whatsoever by the employer or their, their contract might expire and they receive a letter from the employer stating that their restrictive covenant is applicable and that the physician needs to cease and desist from practicing medicine within the 10-mile radius that's covered in the agreement. And I will get a call from that physician saying, I don't understand. My restrictive covenant agreement is inapplicable because I was terminated without cause. What physicians need to understand is that upon termination, if their restrictive covenant agreement is triggered, which in most cases it is, you could be prohibited from practicing medicine in your specialty within a geographic radius outlined in your agreement for a duration of one year, two years, whatever it might be that's, that's outlined in your agreement. And 
these are very likely to survive. They're very likely to be enforced. And you need to go through the contract and understand the non-competition agreement so that you can negotiate for a lower duration or for a smaller geographic radius. It, it might start off that it's a proposed 50-mile geographic radius, and your attorney asks for a 5-mile geographic radius. And that might be accepted, and that could save you from being prohibited from practicing medicine within a 50-mile radius of your current office versus a 5-mile radius. You also need to understand waivers of non-compete. So sometimes my clients will request a waiver of the non-complete being a complete waiver. So in the event of the expiration of the contract or termination of the contract by the employer without cause, for example, we will sometimes request the employer include a waiver of the non-compete so that it is null and void. The, the non-competition agreement is only applicable in the event that the physician leaves or resigns prematurely or if the physician has been terminated with cause. You also really need to understand the duration of the non-competition agreement because there is a chance that if triggered, you could be prohibited from practicing medicine within the geographic radius outlined in your agreement for two years. I mean, I've even seen three years. Every state is different with what is considered appropriate. But in Georgia, for example, two years is presumed reasonable under the law for an employment non-competition agreement. So it's, it's very, very important to understand the scope of what is prohibited under a non-competition agreement, the duration or the number of years, number of months, the geographical radius, and to understand what is the triggering event of that non-competition agreement. What triggers it? Is it any, ex any termination? Is it only upon certain terminations? Is it upon expiration? What is the triggering event? And that's, that's a brief overview of non-compete agreements. When you get into non-solicitation agreements, there are non-solicitation of patients or clients, and there is also a non-solicitation of referrals. So there are two separate types of non-solicitation agreements. And I've, I'll see both of them included in, included in physician agreements, and I will also sometimes see one or the other. And you just need to understand what they say because, in essence, if you are terminated or if you resign or upon expiration of the contract, if the non-solicitation provision is triggered or becomes effective, you could be prohibited from soliciting or calling upon or actively requesting that certain referral sources or patients come to see you at your new office or that referral sources continue sending patients your way at your new office and lo located at you know, XYZ Street. So you have to be very careful that you are not violating any type of non-solicitation or non-competition agreement upon the expiration or termination of your current contract. And if you are in violation of those restrictive covenants, you could really expose yourself to major liability. You could be sued. You could have an injunction against you by a court of law. And it's very expensive to litigate and defend those types of cases. So you, you just want to really 
make sure that you minimize your exposure to liability for violations of restrictive covenant agreements. And the best way to do that really is to negotiate those agreements at the beginning of the process. And what I would say is negotiate your contract at the beginning so that you can put it in a drawer and forget about it, so that you can sign it, put it in a drawer, close the drawer, and hope that you never need it. But if you do ever need it, you know that whatever is contained in those four corners of your contract is favorable to you, and if needed, you could use it in your defense. Arden, thank you. You explained the non-compete and non-solicitation agreements and restrictions very well. I think that that would be very helpful to our listeners. But can you tell me if there is any other important provisions other than the restrictive covenants that you feel a physician should review and also understand in the contract? Yes, Dr. Allen. There are a couple of other big topics, I would say, that are important to look at in today's physician employment agreements. Number one is compensation. Number one aspect of any agreement for every physician that's ever come to see me. And the different structures for physician compensation and a physician, particularly out of training, needs to understand the consequences of entering into a base salary compensation or a base salary and productivity combined compensation structure or a straight compensation structure that centers around productivity. The WRVU method of compensation is becoming very popular in physician employment agreements. And for someone that's established and knows what their productivity level is going to be, I think that type of compensation structure is great. But if you're just out of training and you don't know how many RVUs you're going to produce or generate in one year, it can be a little worrisome for the first couple of years coming out of practice. So you just need to really understand what your compensation package is and what it means and if it's feasible to generate the type of productivity expected of you under your contract. So that's that's one thing I would look at. Another thing to look at is a lot of contracts include these income guarantee or recruitment provisions. And I encourage all physicians that are entering into these recruitment agreements or income guarantees to understand the repercussions of terminating those agreements early because most of those agreements require you to stay employed in that area, wherever you're going to be practicing for a certain number of years in order to um, have the, the debt forgiven. And otherwise, you could be left with a lot of repayment obligations, or you you could also be stuck in a territory for a lot longer than you expect if you don't understand what the recruitment agreement provisions state. Lastly, on the income guarantee, I just encourage physicians to understand that these income guarantees really are loans, and if the physician ends up leaving that territory before the recruitment incentive forgiveness period, which is typically anywhere from one to five years, the physician can be faced with significant costs. So I just encourage all physicians to understand and analyze those income guarantee or recruitment agreements if they enter into those. 
Arden, you've gone through many different sections of the employment contract that physicians need to pay attention to and need to negotiate. Thank you for that. I think that this will be very, very helpful for our listeners. In these brief last few moments of the interview, do you have any final thoughts or would you like to share anything further with our listeners about this topic? Dr. Allen, I would just say in conclusion that all doctors should take the time to understand and read their agreement. You are so fortunate to be involved in a career that is so rewarding in multiple levels, and you owe it to yourself and to your future to read and understand the agreement. And I would also like to point out that the recent trends in physician employment agreements include more favorable terms to the physician. I mean, we are seeing a lot of hospital-based employment, but we're also seeing that physician non-competes, for example, are less onerous. They include smaller geographic radiuses, smaller durations, and I'm seeing many waivers in the event of certain termination reasons. So I encourage you to negotiate for what you're worth. That is a great way to end this interview. Many thanks to Arden Miller, an attorney at Cohen, Pollock, Merlin, and Small PC, for providing such wonderful education on the important issues involved in physician employment contract negotiations. Arden, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit reachmd.com. We encourage you to like, share, and comment on this episode. Thank you for listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.